Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, I'll begin in verse 14. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version, so if you'd please stand with me uh, in honor of the reading of God's Word. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on me, and have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Father, we just thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would anoint it as we offer up this message to you, that you would anoint your word, uh, that you would open our hearts to hear from you, that you would challenge us, and that you would uh, inspire us, Lord, and that you would... Uh, help us to see with your eyes, Lord. Give us vision in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I apologize if you don't have a bulletin to take notes on. Uh, of course, that shouldn't really come as a surprise if I'm speaking. Um, I'll have three points, and I'll try to make sure that I'm real clear with them. Um, I did give this a title, but... We're going to hold on for a little bit with that because um, I just discovered powers of titles. There's just kind of hold back there a little bit. Um, if you're not available, if you're not aware of this, uh, school is back in session. Students may not be back yet, but teachers are. And I spent all day today uh, in professional development uh, learning to be professionally an educator, which is always fun. But we are getting ready for your students to come on September 4th. Um, one of the things that we discover uh, when we go back to school is the daunting task that is ahead of us. One of the things that I, I continue to find out when I look at my classroom list is where my students are um, and as opposed to where they are supposed to be. And we always have a number of students that come in uh, to grade level who are below grade level in reading and math, and you know that it's difficult to teach um, if you teach fifth grade, for example, when you have students that are at a second grade reading level, it's kind of hard to get that stuff across. It's hard to teach multiplication if they don't know addition. And uh, the focus is more and more on, on achievement and proficiency and test scores and spent all day with that. And I got this feeling like this task that I have ahead of me is impossible. So that's kind of what brings us to this verse here. Because what happened was the disciples were... Uh, um, trying to cast out a demon from, the, from this guy, and it wasn't working. How many of you have ever taken uh, principles of the Bible and tried to put them into practice, and you may have met somebody that doesn't know Jesus, and you went through the Romans road, and you went through the whole, uh, uh, what's that? Uh, no, I, I just lost it. Con uh, contagious Christian, and you got all the, the four spiritual laws, and you witness to them, and they don't get saved. 
They don't fall on their knees like the Roman uh, soldier. What must I do to be saved? Wouldn't you like to have Jesus where you could call, talk to him privately? Hey, why didn't this work for us? Well, let's look what Jesus said. He said, he replied, because you have so little faith. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to talk to him privately like that. And here where he means little faith, it's because you have a lack of faith. That's, that, the, the word there denotes a lack of faith or unbelief. It's not that they had a small amount of faith. It's that they had a big amount of unfaith or unbelief. And that's what was getting in the way. And he says, if you have faith, if you have belief, just as small as a mustard seed, the idea is the size of your faith isn't important. It's the fact that you have it. He says, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be moved. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I like that focus there, that nothing will be impossible for you, because the last time I saw this word impossible was where uh, Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler. Do you remember that story? The rich young ruler. And uh, he's talking with the rich young ruler, and he comes up to Jesus and says, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know, why do you call me good? And then he goes on to explain, and he says, well, you know the commandments, keep them. And he says, well, I do all those things. And then the word says Jesus was moved. He loved, moved with uh, compassion, moved with love for the man. He says, one thing you lack, take all that you have and sell it. And then you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And the word says, and then the man went away sad because he was a very rich man. And then Jesus said to his disciples, he turned to the twelve and he said, see how hard it is for a rich man to, be, to inherit the kingdom of, or for the rich man to go to heaven. And then they all got kind of scared. Well, can anyone be saved? And what did Jesus say? He said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So here Jesus takes the scripture, and he applies it to us, and he says, he takes this principle of nothing is impossible, and he applies it to us. Does Jesus take God out of the equation there? No. It's very important to understand that God is in this equation, because that's where our faith, who our faith is in. It's not about how big our faith is. It's about how big God is. How many of you are facing uh, impossible tasks this week? Anybody? I've discovered that the older I get, the more I come into contact with impossible tasks. I'm going to focus on two of them. I'm not going to focus on what we see here as far as the, the issue of healing, but you can apply it to healing. I'm going to focus it on what Pastor said on Sunday morning. How many are glad that, glad that Pastor's back? He spoke from the word from, from the book of Ephesians. Uh, and then as he was covering, he kind of went over Ephesians 4, verse 1, which was, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. How many have ever approached the Christian life as, man, this is hard? Anybody? Or is it just me? 
Do you remember that TV show? Remember that? They light the, the fuse, and there's no words to that song, but I like to kind of put words to that song. It goes dun, 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 and then it goes dun, 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 dun. Mission impossible? Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's impossible. And it kind of feels like that sometimes when we're a Christian. That the, that the command that Jesus gives us, I'm losing my place here, so I'm technology challenged. Hold on just a moment. Okay, we're back. There we go. Okay. In the TV show, it was about um, Ethan Hunt was the guy, and he'd get these messages for his mission. And I used to love it because he'd come in a, a tape recorder and a book, and he'd open it up, and the, there'd be a tape recording going, you know, this is what your task is and your mission if you choose to accept it, and then this message will self-destruct in, in five seconds, and then poof, you know, it burns up. They made six movies on this TV show, Mission Impossible, starring Tom Cruise, and uh, and I watched all six of them, by the way, just in case you didn't know. But I was always disappointed because they, they didn't really have the, the, the book message for him getting his mission. You know, one, one time he got it with sunglasses, and he looked cool as he's wearing the sunglasses, and he's getting, you know, his mission, and this message will self-destruct in five seconds. Like, get those glasses off, bud. You're going to self-destruct. But I also like the, the name of the team. They, they're... they're you know, you have the CIA, you have the FBI, and you have the IMF. What does IMF stand for? Impossible Mission Force. Isn't that creative? And I love it whenever he's explaining what he does to other people. You know, he, in one of the movies, he's explaining to his wife, you know, I'm part of this secret government agency. You are? Yeah, but uh, what's the name of it? We do, we're called to do impossible missions. Okay. What's it called? Impossible Mission Force? Oh, okay. And the government will disavow, you know, if we get caught, they'll disavow that they even know me. So I just like that, and I want to take a look at it with the micro and a macro look. Microeconomics, macroeconomics. Micro is uh, when you look at economics on an individual basis, and macro is where you look at it a big picture. So we're going to start with this idea of the Christian life. Live a life worthy as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And that simply means, if you're a Christian, be a Christian, right? Anybody have any problems with that? How many know that's a lot harder than it seems? How many were not raised in the church, but you got saved from the outside, and you came into the church? What were the things that you focused on, that you struggled with when you first became a Christian, when you first got saved? Weren't they things like, oh, i got to watch the way I talk? No more cussing, no more smoking, no more drinking, no more chewing, no more hanging out with girls. I don't know, something. Well, but you get the idea, right? And we focus on all these things. You know, oh, I got to stop swearing. I got I to gotta get away from my friends that swear. I got I to gotta give up this. And those are all good things. But it's not always about clothes that make the man. It's not always about what you wear. We always talk about dress for success. And I remember when I was playing Little League football, and I got my uniform. 
That's a big thing for kids that are playing ball to get their uniform. And I don't know why I was so happy about it, because we were called the Orioles. I had a bright orange helmet, orange pants. You know, it, I was styling. Orange socks. But I was so excited to put that on for my first game. How many know that that clean, brand spanking new football uniform had nothing to do with playing football? I may have looked good on the outside, but when they hit me, I folded like a blanket. A lot of times we focus on the outwards. How many know that 30 years later, I'm still struggling with my Christian life? But it's not about what comes out of my mouth. It's not about whether I'm smoking, drinking, or chewing, or hanging out with those that do. But we still struggle with that issue of sin. And it's a lot of times what I, what I want to tell you, church, is that it's because our focus is misplaced. What does Jesus say? He says, if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we can say to this mountain, move. Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I don't think Jesus is speaking literally here and wants each of us, as soon as we get saved, to go stand at the foot of the Rockies and say, okay, I want you to move closer to Michigan. I'm waiting, God. I'm waiting. I think he's talking about here the fact that it's not the amount of our faith. It's not what's on the outside that really matters. It's who our faith is in and whether we need to apply that to our lives. For we walk by faith. We're saved by grace. We walk by faith. Understand what the cross was all about. How many know that Jesus knew who you would be 30 years after you got saved? How many know that Jesus knows that the, he knew the sins that you would commit in those 30 years, that he already knew it. And he saved you anyway. See, I always have to laugh. My wife didn't know everything. She thought she did. She knew that I was annoying. She had no idea how annoying or how long I could sustain it over a 30-year period. And if she knew some of those things, and she had to balance it between moving from Hawaii, she might have had second thoughts. But God knew, church. God looked at you and he said, you're my child. And that's what we got to hold on to. The promise that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 7, 19, the good I do, the, the good I do not want to do, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. That is the struggle that you and I have every day. And maybe if it's not doing the evil, maybe it's not doing the good. How many know that sin uh, has a very wide brush? We have sins of commission, sins that we do, and we have sins of omission, sins that we, things that we are supposed to do that we don't do. So we get caught up on both of those. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll realize, yeah, I'm guilty today too. And Paul says in Romans, 
What a wretched man I am. Who can save me from this body? And the answer is, of course, who? Jesus. His death on the cross, his blood covers it all. I love the, the, the hymn, he breaks the power of canceled sin. Understand that the penalty, the price for sin has already been paid in full. I think I talked about this one other time because it's sounding familiar now. I paid off my mortgage. I had refinanced my, my house, and I paid off my mortgage, which was like, well, something like 90000 90, something like that, a big amount of money. Well, I didn't do anything. I refinanced it. So the bank paid it off. And I had a two-week period. It might have been more than two weeks. I don't remember. That I didn't owe anything on my house. Didn't have a house payment. Didn't have a mortgage. Because the other, they were changing the paperwork. Okay? But how many know that then that, that remortgage went back in? I owed just as much as I did before at a lower interest rate, right? But for that period of time, I was free. And it was a good feeling. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. You are set, if you are a Christian, if you name the name of Jesus as your Savior, you are free from the penalty of sin. His blood covers it all. And we walk by faith in that grace. It's not anything that you did. He did it all on the cross. And our faith is in that. And that's where we start as a Christian. We want to submit and trust in God's plan. Here's another thing that we, we struggle with. We think that God just picked us randomly. God has a plan for you. He created you and he saved you for a purpose. You're not an accident. What is that plan? Well, God will show you. Well, he hasn't shown me yet. How many know that a lot of God's plan are clear in retrospect? As you look back, you see how he guided you to the point where you are now. Sometimes life doesn't take, take the way that we have it all figured out. I can tell you one thing, is, this is a true statement. When I was in Bible college, in 1985 at North Central Bible College, I had no idea, no desire, and no intent on being an elementary teacher. And you sure weren't going to get me into the ur inner urban areas of Detroit to do that. And especially not second grade. What do you do now? Well, I teach second grade. I'm no longer in Detroit, but I'm kind of doing the same thing that I was doing before. God has a way of moving you to places that you didn't really plan to be so that he could use you where he wants you to be. I just had an experience. I'll illustrate this today. Um, we had an all-day uh, professional development meeting, and my boss, my superintendent, uh, called me outside. I was talking to her last night. She had decided to start this year with a Bible study and prayer. Now, she was my boss in Detroit, and she had an experience where her, her childhood home burned to the ground, and her mother lost everything. They lost everything they had, and she was distraught. And I remember her calling me out of my classroom so that I could pray with her. 
That was three years ago. I didn't think I'd be working with her now because she left her job and I stayed there. God has a way that you don't know about. And what you do is you trust in God's plan. Remember, it doesn't have to be a huge amount of trust. When she first left the job, I was a little anxious. When I lost my job, I was anxious. But how many know that God wasn't anxious because he knew exactly where I was going? See, you don't have to have a lot of faith. You have to have a little faith that God's got this. Whenever you deal with impossible tasks, step away from fear, step away from anxiety, and step into faith. Secondly, I'm still at my first point. I'm sorry. <laughs> One, two. So a little b. Depend on the body of Christ. God has brought you to Woodland Church for a reason. Find that reason out. Pastor has classes, Woodland 1, Woodland 2, Woodland, to find your area, your giftings, your talents, your abilities. You know, you don't really have to uh, be speaking from the pulpit for God to use you. I know somebody who works with kids, kids Church in the back who would love to talk to you about volunteering back there sometime. Just saying. And there's not a whole lot that you have to do. But it's a step to say, here I am, Lord, use me. And since I left Carlton Assembly, since I'm not passionate anymore, that's been my motto. Here I am, God, use me. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it because I'm going to do it unto you. Depend on the body of Christ. If you need prayer, ask for prayer. If you're struggling, you don't think you can make it, tell somebody. Have them come alongside you. If you have a need, let somebody know. Probably the most difficult thing for me was when I would get a phone call from somebody about somebody being in a hospital that I had no idea. I discovered this. If you didn't know this, there isn't a magic book that happens where the pastor automatically knows that you're in the hospital and you're in need. Tell somebody. I guarantee you someone will be there. Because you know what? It's important to let the people you know that you love, let them know that, that you love them. And we can't do that if we don't know. Depend on the body of Christ. Lean on them. Encourage one another. If you see new people, greet them. Well, you don't understand, I'm not a greeter. I don't think there's a lot of people that come to churches because somebody said hello to them at the doorway when they handed them a bulletin. No, that's important. Don't get me wrong. What's more important is for somebody to say, hey, you're new here. Come sit with me. We do the same thing with kids. We do the same thing in kids' church. I do the same thing with my students. If I have a new student that comes in in the middle of the year, I have people that I make sure say, hey, we got a new student. Make sure you play with them. Make sure you let them know that they're an important part of our class. You know what it was like when you came to new school. Yeah, I do. That's how people come and they come back. Depend on the, on the body of Christ. Exalt Christ in all that you do. The important thing about um, living this Christian life is to understand that it's Jesus-centered. 
Remember how I talked about how we don't take God out of the equation? It seems like an impossible task to live the Christian life when we're doing it on our own. When we put our faith in Christ, he does all the heavy lifting. But there's still some things that we're responsible for. Put Jesus first. Number one, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Lord, I thank you that my car is still running. I'm driving a 1985 Honda. It's got 318,000 miles on it. Thank you, God, that it's still running. Praise the Lord. Thank you that I have a job. Exalt the Lord in all that you do. When I'm in a classroom and I'm teaching numbers and I'm teaching nouns and verbs, I am loving on those kids and I'm letting them know somebody loves them. It's important for them to know that I love them, but I am just a vessel that God works through. Amen? You don't always have to... uh, You don't always have to wear it on your shirt sleeves. You don't always have to have the outside. People know because there's a spirit living in me, right? Have a proper view of eternity. Again, this world is not our home. When it's all said and done, it doesn't really matter who the occupant of the White House is. It does matter who occupies the throne of grace. And it's important for us to understand that that's where we're headed. This land is not our home. Okay, we're only passing through. That doesn't mean that you're not patriotic. It doesn't mean that you can't get involved in politics. It means don't let that become your focus. Your focus is Jesus and his kingdom. And this last one, focus on discipleship, yours. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. (sighs) Clothes make the man. We know that that's not true. You can dress for success all you want. And it's important to set that example that you're putting on something so that you can achieve something. But how many know the story of the emperor's new clothes? He was convinced, okay, that he had on special clothing that only the really smart people could see, right? And he wanted to be really smart, so of course, he could see them. But he was being deceived by people who had ill intent towards him. And he ended up walking through the streets in his underwear, until a little boy said, hey, you're in your undies. He goes, what? Yeah, yes, I am. I mean, no, truth is truth, however you spin it. Truth is truth, and all truth is God's truth. And here, when we use the Word of God as our measure, it's a mirror that reflects us. It reflects back to us, and we are made in the image and the likeness of God. And so that's the image that it reflects, and then we can see where we fall short, for what purpose? So that we can become more like him. See, we often think that we can take the word of God and use it as a club to beat other people over the head with it. 
And how many know the people that beat other people with it? They're not really using it as a mirror. Okay? Jesus with the, the, the woman caught in the act of adultery, what did he say? He said, okay, you're right. The law does demand that she be stoned. He who's without sin cast the first one. And what happened? One by one, they dropped. Why? Because they were confronted with the word of God, and they were forced to look in the mirror. And what reflected back to them wasn't as righteous as they like to think. Sometimes we can deceive ourselves if we're not in the word of God. Focus on discipleship, your discipleship. Not worrying about discipling others. That, that's important, don't get me wrong. But you make sure that you're a disciple, that you're in the Word of God, that you're handling the Word of God, because you're allowing God to mold you and make you in His image. One of the toughest things for me is when I'm trying to teach a student who has no desire to be taught. He's there for school for a lot of things. Learning is not top of his list. It's very difficult. And the thing is, is I find it funny because administration includes him in the count when they evaluate me on my teaching ability because I'm a highly trained professional, so therefore I should be able to do it. And since I'm so trained and so good, they'll give me 30 of them just the same way, and I should be really good now, right? But sometimes if they don't want to learn, it's very difficult. You and I are the same way. If we get it all figured out and we don't need God's word, yeah, yeah, it's hard for God to mold us and make us. That's where we need the oil of the Spirit to soften up this hardened heart. What did David say? Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. And can I tell you something? You ask God to do that, and he will. Because he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. My faith is in what God can do in me. My family's sitting over here, right over here, and they can attest to the fact that I am not perfect. Okay? We just had a weekend, right? My birthday weekend demonstrated that, right? Not perfect. But you know what? I am not the same person that I was when I was 17 years old when I got saved. God has done a work in me. My family wouldn't recognize me if they knew me when I was 17 years old. God has done a powerful, life-changing, transformative work in me. Because I looked at the man in the mirror and I allowed God to change him. My righteousness is like filthy rags. But God's righteousness. Second point. Going to go from the micro, the individual, to macro. Now look at the big picture. Second impossible task. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go and make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. 
That's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, how many work a job? How many work with people who are not very Christ-like? Do any of you work with people who are not very Christ-like that don't really want to hear about it? Have you ever worked at some place where they were hostile to you? I worked at Chi-Chi's Restaurant on the line. I had just gotten saved, and I had this buddy, his name was Neil, who worked with me, and he decided that it would be fun when Susie found out that I was a born-again Christian to torment me for the eight hours that I worked each day. And his way of tormenting me was to needle me until I got mad. And then when I got mad, I lost my temper. He says, oh, you're supposed to be a Christian, huh? You know, what would Jesus do? That kind of thing. Matthew 7, 13, For wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Right? The task is daunting. It's impossible. Right? Jesus said right there, many are headed towards destruction. It's impossible. Right? Except for, Jesus said, Nothing will be impossible for you. See? Say to the mountain, move. And what does he say? It will move. He doesn't talk about how big the mountain is, right? He doesn't talk about how impossible the task is. He talks about if you have a little faith. If you have a little faith, say to the mountain, move, and it will move. Because he understood that he had 12 people that he was entrusting this task to. And it was a daunting task. But how many know that our God specializes in daunting tasks? It's not about you. It's about him. And it's not about you patting yourself on the back, oh, I did this. It's about God being glorified. That yes, there is still a God in this world. Yes, it is. No, it's not. It's not impossible. One of the things that we have to do, church, is we have to be convinced of the concept of the lost. Because I think what we do is just like when we say it's impossible or the task is big, we start making excuses so we don't have to try. We start justifying so we don't have to care. Got a couple of scriptures here for you. In uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 24, Jesus tells the, the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. Right? And the question is, why was the lost son lost? Why was he lost? He knew exactly where he was, right? He was lost because he was absent from the father, because he had left the presence and the privilege of his father, and he went off on his own, and he was lost. One of the things we talk about is, you know, people have, can find their own way or worship God in your own way. Or, 
we, we're very um, tentative about calling it what it is. Truth is truth. The Bible talks about people being lost. And people being lost are people that are absent from the Father, that have removed themselves from the privileged place and have gone off on their own. A little more information on this. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek. Anybody know the rest of it? And save the lost. So not only are the lost people lost, but they are in need of what? Salvation. And who came to save them? Jesus. For his name means, he, you should call his name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. How did he do that? On the cross. If there are no lost people, then why did Jesus come to seek them? And if they're okay on their own, lost, then why do they need to be saved? I didn't write it. It's right there. Ephesians 2.5, Paul talks about how they are dead in their transgressions. Transgression is another word for sin. But by faith in Christ, they shall be made alive. Okay? John 17, oh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, what part of that all is not all-encompassing? Doesn't all mean all? I mean, I know we're picking apart words now, but all still means all. It means everybody, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Sin is separation from God. If you're lost and you need to be saved, that is why Jesus came. Jesus came to save you and to find you. That's not offensive. That's good news. That's our gospel. John 17, 12, Jesus says in his prayer to the Father, he says, I have guarded them, the 12, not one of them is lost except Judas in order that the Scripture was to be fulfilled. Did they not know where Judas was? No. What happened to Judas? Judas by his betrayal, he was destroyed by his lostness. So there's some threat. There's some um, bad things that are happening to those who are lost. And so we, as a church, corporately, should be concerned about the lost. It should be something that weighs upon us. I don't know why it doesn't more. Maybe I do. I wasn't that concerned about PSP, not the PlayStation, but the disease PSP, I had never heard of it until it struck my mother. Then all of a sudden, I was concerned about PSP. Wasn't really concerned about Alzheimer's until it hit my mother-in-law and then my uncle. Wasn't really concerned about cancer, even though I considered myself a good person, until it hit close to home and it's... Uh, uh, attacking my brother right now. And it's like, this is important. Why don't people care about it? Why don't I care about it? Church, we need to be aware of the lost and that they're lost. That they need to be saved and they're 
their future, their destiny is destruction. Unless they get saved, they meet Jesus, they have an encounter with Jesus, and they get saved like you and I have. The gospel is good news. That's another thing that we start to lose. We live in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity, and so we start to fold our tent and take our toys and go away and just want to live in our bubble. That's not what the early church did. They lived in a perverse generation that was hostile to Christianity, and what happened? They took over that perverse and wicked generation. And they didn't do it with the edge of a sword. They didn't do it by debate. They did it in the power of God. Read the book of Acts. God's power was prevalent in the early church, and people flooded to that power. We need that power in our lives, in our church, but we're not going to get God's power in our lives until we start to have a concern for the lost, until it's something that starts to uh, weigh upon us, until it's something that starts to burden us. We used to use these terms back in the day when the Assemblies of God was growing, but now we're starting to get away from that because that's old. You know, we want to make sure that people like us church, start to get a burden for people who don't know Jesus. Remember what it was like before you knew Jesus. Yeah, I could smoke, I could drink, I could chew, I could hang out with girls that do, but I was not happy. I was not content. I was lost. I was alone. I was afraid. And the good news brought light. When Paul got saved, it was like scales had fallen off his eyes. Because when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, he was already blind, but the blindness was spiritual, and God made it physical so that he understood. And when the scales fell off his eyes, he understood. We need to understand that salvation only comes through the gospel. It's good news, it's life to the dead, it's sight to the blind, but it's only through the gospel, John 14, verse 6. No one comes. No one. Take that word, no one, and apply meaning to it. If all means all, what does no one mean? No one comes to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is before my time, but in the 60s, the Jesus movement, the one way was real big. Just one way. There's one name given under heaven by which men might be saved. One. And that name is Jesus. We cannot, well, that doesn't seem fair. Truth is truth. Truth is truth. And it's the truth that will set you free. Only by the gospel can men be saved. The gospel is life to the dead. It is sight to the blind. It is the power of God unto salvation. Acts 26, verses 17 and 18. Paul's telling the story to King Agrippa, and he says to him that God sent me. He sent me to do what? To open, to open, where did it go? To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, 
power of Satan to the power of God. We need to understand that people that are lost are utterly hopeless in their lostness and that we are utterly hopeless in ourselves. It's only because we know Jesus that we can make it each day. And it's only by showing people, introducing them, having them encounter Jesus that they will be able to make it. If they're an unbeliever, the gospel is veiled to unbelievers. It's covered. They don't see it. They don't understand. How can people be lost when they're saturated by the gospel in this country? Because they're not paying attention. And the gospel is veiled. You and I, were ambassadors of Christ. We need to bring truth to that. The, uh, the, the eunuch on the, on, on the road with Philip, what did he say? He said, how can I understand what I'm reading unless there's somebody to explain it to me? Has Jesus touched your life? Has he saved you from your sin? Have you been born again? Then let God use you. We need to be concerned about the lost. Third point, and I'm done. First two are long. Third point's real short. Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. That talks about passion. Where are your passions? What do you care, care a lot about? If you spend any time talking to me, especially now, I'm talking football. The Lions. They've lost their first two exhibition games. They have not looked very good. But you know what? This is the year. My Super Bowl tickets, well, I wouldn't actually go to the Super Bowl, but if I could, I would have them in the mail. They're going this year. Because I remember one year they won every preseason game, and then they lost the next 16. Okay, so this year, they can lose each preseason game and win the next 16. It could happen, right? I'm passionate about the Detroit Lions. It's, it's a disease. <laughs> it was very frustrating when I was in school in Minnesota, and they would win all the time. And I had people that were Minnesota fans, Chicago Bear fans, Green Bay Packer fans. They've all been to the Super Bowl. But this year... I'm passionate about my children. I love my children, and I am so proud of them. If you take any time to talk to me and they're not around, I'll brag on them, okay? Because I am proud of them. I'm proud of who they are, who they become, because I know what could have been. I'm passionate about my wife. Her and I have been married for 29 years. 29 years she's put up with me. 29 years. But if you spend any time with me, I am passionate about Jesus. And I'm not going to always rub it in your face, but I'm going to be praying for you, and I'm going to be praying for opportunities. And I'm going to, I'm going to let you know, God loves you. You're special. He created you unique and special. He can help you through this. He wants you to know that he loves you. What are you passionate about? Do you take the effort and the energy of being passionate about the Detroit Lions? Are you just as passionate about the Lord Jesus? People know that I'm a Lions fan. 
People know where I stand with the Michigan, Michigan State thing. People know those things. Do they know where you stand with Jesus? Are you passionate about the lost? Is it important for you that people come to know him? Or is it impossible for you to do that? I can't talk to people. It's impossible. Look at all the people that are, that are broad as the path of destruction. It doesn't matter what I say. I'm going to end with a story that's, that's familiar to most of us. It's about a little boy walking along the sand on the beach, and all these starfish were washed up on the shore. And I, talk, I tell the story just about every time I talk about the loss, so maybe you've heard it. But there's all these starfish, and there's this little boy picking one up, He's throwing him back in the ocean. And he's doing this for a while. And this man comes up, and he's smart. He knows better. He says, what are you doing? He says, look at all these starfish. You're not going to save them all. What does it matter? And the little boy was listening to him, but didn't stop what he was doing. He, kept, he picked up a starfish. He tossed it back in the ocean. He said it mattered to that one. Is it impossible? Has God called you on an impossible mission? Is living for him impossible? You don't understand the struggles that I have, Pastor. I probably understand them more than I'd like you to know. You don't understand how hard it is to talk to people. You don't understand how... Maybe I don't. You're right. But God does. And the question is, do you choose to accept the mission. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is not to be perfect, is not to be without fault, is not to be blameless. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to live a life worthy of your calling. If you're a Christian, be a Christian. If you're the church, be the church. He will help you. Ask him. The church body will help you. Ask them. Be serious about it. When I went to take my teaching test, when I was serious about taking, becoming a teacher and taking my teacher's exam, I prepped for it. I wanted to know what I was doing when I went into that take that test. Are you serious about your relationship with God? Is your discipleship your focus? Are you familiar with God's word? Are you a student? Are you studying yourself to show, studying to show yourself approved unto God? Do we care about the lost? Is it something that we put in our prayer journal every day? Is it we look for opportunities? Start doing this. Lord, give me an opportunity to talk to someone today. Just to scatter seed. And you'll be amazed at how many people God starts putting into your life. There's no greater feeling than when you, when you talk to somebody and they give their life to the Lord. And then you look at them later down the line and say, wow, God has really done something in you. You're not the same person anymore. And they'll say, yeah, I'm not the same person anymore. All things passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And God has molded me and shaped me in his image. Let's stand as we close.
One last thought, again, because whenever I talk about these things and faith, we get a little concerned. So I'm going to put a little bit of reality here. At this time, the disciples have been walking with Jesus for three years. They've already seen him calm the storm. They've already seen him walk on water. They also already saw him feed uh, four or 5,000 people. They've already seen these tremendous miracles happen. And they still couldn't cast out the demon because of their unbelief. Take our unbelief and nail it to the cross. Like the Father, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And take that faith, that little small mustard seed faith, and put it into practice, put it into action, do something with it. Jesus talks about that mustard seed, how it's the smallest of seeds, but it grows into the largest of plants. He compares it to the kingdom of God. Do you know what he calls us? His kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the opportunity. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move amongst us right now, Lord, that you would challenge each of us. First, on a micro level, that we would look at the man in the mirror. And we would say, Lord, creating me a clean heart. Lord, if there's any wicked way in me, Lord, if there's something there that doesn't belong, maybe it's not smoking or drinking or chewing, maybe it's pride, maybe it's selfishness. But cast it aside, Lord. Renew a right spirit within me. Allow me to be conformed to your image. No longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but conform to the image of God. Holy Spirit, have your way. Leave your fingerprints on me. Mold me and make me like you, Lord. As a church, let's be convinced of the lost. When Hudson Taylor returned from China and he would do his speaking engagements to raise money, he would talk in his prayers China, China, China. It was constantly a burden on his heart. And because of people like him, there's a growing church, growing in secret in communist China that faces persecution on a daily basis. The God who can do daunting tasks. I remember the story of Brother Andrew smuggling Bibles across the Iron Curtain. Doing it in secret so that the church could grow. There is no more Iron Curtain. The Berlin Wall has been torn down. The gospel has been preached freely in Eastern Europe. The God of daunting tasks. Lord, I thank you that you can do all things. That nothing is impossible with you. But Lord, I pray that you'd birth within us that little mustard seed faith. That we would put that into practice. That we would allow you to become our passion. And that you would use us, Lord. 
And I'm just going to ask you to respond. Um, Isaiah, when he responded in Isaiah 6 to the Lord, he said, whom shall we send and who will go for us? Isaiah spoke up and said, hear my Lord, send me. If you want to be used by God, I want you to raise your hand to him. Our eyes are closed, our heads bowed, we're in prayer. It's not really for the audience, it's for God. It's simply a response to his word. Here am I, Lord. Use me. Fill me with your passion that I may persuade others to become passionate followers of Jesus. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.